Since I was a child, I've always been fascinated by the medieval period of history. Tales of knights and kings and kingdoms. Uh, I love to read books about it, to watch movies about it. Uh, I was always fascinated by the tales of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. And one of the first scriptures I learned as a child in Sunday school was the Lord's Prayer that we just shared together. And the second line to that prayer says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then we end the prayer by saying, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So it gets me thinking about what the Bible means when it talks about the kingdom, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Now the Bible uses both phrases pretty much interchangeably. They both mean the same thing, they just have a different emphasis. If you say the kingdom of God, you're putting the emphasis on the king, on the Lord God. If you say the kingdom of heaven, you're putting the emphasis on the fact that God's kingdom is not of this world. It's not an earthly kingdom. It's not comparable to earthly kingdoms. It is far greater. It is above and beyond anything in this world. And when Jesus was baptized by John and he was ready to begin his earthly ministry, the very first sermon he preached was to say, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. So it seems that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is a very important concept for us as Christians to understand. Especially if every week we're going to pray, your kingdom come. Now, when you think about a kingdom, there are three things that come to mind. First of all, you've got to have a king. And a king is the sovereign ruler. The king reigns over the kingdom. The king's word is law. And it doesn't matter if what the king says today contradicts what the king said yesterday, because the king's word is the ultimate authority in the kingdom, and all of the people are expected to obey without question. So you have a king, you have subjects, you have those people who are under the rule of the king and who are supposed to obey the king's word, the king's law. And then you have the kingdom itself, which is normally a geographical location, something that you could locate on a map and draw a line around and say, this is the kingdom. So let's think about those things in relation to the kingdom of God. First of all, let's look at the king. Most of the time, kings uh, reigned in power and authority and majesty. Uh, the king had the biggest building in the kingdom, the palace. The king sat on this magnificent throne. The king wore uh, splendid robes. 
And everything around the king was like the very best. But in the kingdom of God, he sent Jesus into our world. And he sent Jesus not in splendor and in majesty, but in utter humility and meekness. You can't get more humble and meek than a baby. Kings are used to ruling with power and authority. Jesus sought to rule by teaching and then asking people to follow. Kings were used to being obeyed. And if you disobeyed the king, there were dire consequences. But with Jesus' full knowledge and without retribution, he allowed one of his followers to deny him, another one to betray him, the entire crowds to turn against him, and ultimately to assassinate him. And when that happened, it seemed as if the kingdom of God had been defeated by the one who is called the prince of this world. You can call him the devil, you can call him Satan, the Bible does both. It would seem that the kingdom of God ended here on earth the moment Jesus was put in the tomb. But that reminds me of one of my favorite stories. I'm sure I've told you before, but you won't mind hearing it again. There was a man who took his elderly father to a museum. He loved, to, he loved good art. He had an appreciation for art. And so they went to the, the museum and, and strolled around looking at the different paintings. And his father would usually make some comment about the paintings. But they came up to one painting in particular that was of a chessboard. And the title of the painting was Checkmate. Because it showed a situation in which it looked like... Uh, the game was over. If you know anything about chess, checkmate is when you have trapped your opponent's king and there's nothing they can do but surrender. And the elderly man stood there for quite some time pondering that picture. And finally his son said, well, Dad, let's, there's a lot more to see. Let's, let's move on. And his father said to him, we need to find out who painted this. And he said, well, why? Because he either needs to change the painting or change the title. The king has one more move. <laughs> it was not checkmate. And when I, when I heard that story, I thought that's exactly what happened when the kingdom of God seems to have been defeated by the prince of this world. Satan must have looked up to heaven and said, Checkmate! I put your king in the ground. So this world is mine. You, you've got heaven. You know, Satan tried to rebel against God in heaven and take over that kingdom, and he got kicked out. 
And so when he came into this world, he said, this one will be mine. And when Jesus came to claim it for the king, he said, no, you can't have it. And put him down. But what he failed to understand is the king had one more move. <laughs> and he made it three days later. When Jesus came out of the grave and brought, the Bible says, the keys of death, hell, and the grave with him. Taking power away from the prince of this world and reclaiming this kingdom for God. That's the kind of king we have. He is a truly unique king. What about the subjects of the king? When Jesus first began his ministry and proclaimed that the kingdom of God was near, he called 12 people to enter into his kingdom. He called these men to follow him. They gave up everything. They left everything behind. And they devoted themselves to the service of the king. And then Jesus spent the next three years telling other people about the kingdom. And inviting them to accept him as their king. And so it is gone for the last 2,000 years. And we sit here this morning as subjects of the king. We are here because we have received the king's message and we have accepted the king's reign in our life and over this world. But that doesn't mean we, we've got it all figured out. I think one of the greatest struggles that we as Christians have in the world today is that there are two aspects of Jesus' life and ministry. He came to be our Savior, and he came to be our Lord. We don't have a problem with Savior. When I need saving, I'm perfectly fine with someone doing that. <laughs> I want to be saved. But then once I have received his salvation, I am asked to be a subject of the king. Jesus didn't call people just to believe in him. He didn't walk around preaching the good news and teaching God's word and saying, now believe in me. What was his call to people? Follow me. Follow me. See, he was inviting them into the kingdom. And in order to be in the kingdom, you have to accept the, the authority of the king. And so in our lives, we can't treat the teachings of Jesus as good ideas. We can't treat the commands of Scripture as 
suggestions or guidelines. We have to be willing to accept the reign of the king and the word of the king and the authority of the king and submit our will to his. If we truly want to be part of the kingdom of God. And once we do that, um, we have two tasks. You notice the second part of that, that line in the Lord's Prayer, it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so how do we make God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven? We do that by fulfilling two functions. First of all, you are called to be an emissary of the king. Are you familiar with that word emissary? In, in the days of ancient kingdoms, if one king wanted to communicate with another king, he couldn't just pick up the phone and call him. He couldn't text him, couldn't send him an email. If, if I wanted to get a message to another king, I called upon someone that I trusted completely. And they were called an emissary. And I would give my message to the emissary. And I would send him to the other king. And the other king would accept my emissary. And the message that the emissary spoke to that king was understood to have the full authority and power of the other king. Even though it wasn't the king speaking, it was somebody else, he spoke with the authority and the power of the king. Well, what does that mean for us? Before Jesus ascended back to heaven in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus told his disciples, you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my emissaries. It actually says witnesses, means same thing. You will be my emissaries in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. In other words, I am about to leave God's kingdom on this earth and return to his kingdom in heaven. And when I do, I am leaving those of you who have accepted my reign in your life as my emissaries. I have a message. It's called the gospel. The good news of salvation through the shed blood of Christ on the cross and forgiveness for our sins and the opportunity to be with him forever in heaven. We have this message and Jesus said, I'm going to leave you this message and I'm going to empower you to take this message out into the world because I want to expand my kingdom. Most kingdoms expanded by force. I would send my army to conquer your army and then I would take over your kingdom and make it part of mine. Jesus has another plan. I'm going to conquer this world, one heart at a time, one person at a time, by sharing the good news of my love and grace and calling each and every one of them to follow me as their king.
There's a great scripture here in Matthew 16. Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In other words, when I leave you behind, empowered by my spirit, commissioned as my emissaries, you have my authority. So when I share Christ with somebody, when I sit down with somebody and talk to them about how much God loves them and cares for them and that Jesus died for them, and if they will receive him as their Lord and Savior, they can be forgiven of their sins and they can spend eternity with him in heaven. See, I can't do any of that. But it happens because I speak with the authority of the king. I'm his emissary. And so when I tell a person they can be forgiven, they are forgiven, not because I did anything, but because I speak with the authority of the king. When I tell someone that from this moment forward, they are a child of God and will spend eternity with him in heaven, it's not because I can make that possible. It's because I have the authority of the king. The keys of the kingdom of heaven have been handed to us. And each and every one of us, as followers of Jesus Christ, have both the responsibility and the privilege to invite other people into the kingdom. That's your first job, to be an emissary of the king. The second job is to be an ambassador of the king. An ambassador of the king. Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, he says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Now let's think about that a moment. An ambassador, when a country sends an ambassador to another country, it's different than an emissary. An emissary is simply a messenger. An emissary goes, delivers the message, then leaves. An ambassador is somebody who represents his country to another country or his kingdom to another kingdom by moving there and taking up residence. He actually becomes part of that kingdom so that he can represent his kingdom. And by doing that, the people of the other kingdom look to him to say, how do people live in your kingdom? How do people act in your kingdom? How do people treat other people in your kingdom? And whatever the ambassador does, they assume that's what all of them do. You know, if I'm an American ambassador and I go to some foreign land and they see that every Sunday afternoon at one o'clock I turn on a football game, It'd probably be some weird time over there. I mean, you got to work with me on this. They would assume that Americans watch football on Sundays. And they wouldn't be far wrong. Yeah, I mean, that's not, that's not too far off. 
If every day at 3 o'clock I went and got two cookies for a snack, they would assume that in the middle of the afternoon Americans eat cookies for a snack. Do you see what I mean? They would be looking at me, and whatever I do as my normal routine of life, they'd say, that's what Americans do. Because he's an American, that's what he does. And so my point being, if Paul has said that we are ambassadors of Christ, what he is saying is you represent the kingdom of God on this earth. We have been asked to abide in this earth as representatives of Christ and his kingdom, and the world is looking at us and saying whatever they do, that must be what he does, or that must be how he thinks, that must be how he treats people. So people are looking to us to know what kind of a God we have and what kind of a Savior we serve. And so we have to ask ourselves, how good of an ambassador am I? <laughs> are people getting an accurate reflection of the character of Christ and the nature of God by looking at me? That's a bit of a scary thought, isn't it? That's a bit of, it's almost overwhelming to think. But it's true. So as subjects of the king, we have been commissioned to be emissaries and ambassadors for Christ. And as we fulfill that role in this world... We expand his kingdom. Because God's love and grace are meant for everybody. God's kingdom is meant for everybody. And it's God's desire that everyone be part of it. The Bible says that God desires that all people be saved. He doesn't exclude anyone, but he includes everyone. So the next time we say the Lord's Prayer, and you get to that part, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, think about it for a moment. When we get to the end of that prayer and you say, for thine is the kingdom, think about that for a moment. That we have a king and we are part of a kingdom that will never end. And we have the privilege. I try to think of it more as a privilege than a responsibility. We have a privilege to be the emissaries and ambassadors of our King. Let's pray. God, I am so grateful that you didn't just abandon us in our sinfulness. You could have written off the whole world uh, to our sinfulness and allowed Satan to rule over us forever. But you sent your son Jesus to plant your flag firmly on this planet and say, this world is mine. I created it. I created the people who are in it. And I reclaim them 
for my kingdom. And I pray that you would help us to understand our role as emissaries and ambassadors for Christ. That every day we would be willing to take advantage of whatever opportunities come our way to share the message of the King, the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord, and to be an ambassador to allow the witness of our life to draw others to his love. For we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. There may be someone here this morning who is not part of his kingdom, but who is ready to say, I accept the king. I believe in the king, and I want to follow the king. If you're ready to take that step, I'm going to invite you to come. As we're going to stand together, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And when we do, we're going to ask you to come and let me greet you, let me pray with you, let me lead you in what we call a confession of faith that's really a declaration of allegiance to the king because it says, I believe in Christ and I accept him as my Lord and Savior. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a great old hymn, How Great Thou Art, number two, verses one and four.